was a voice in my head that kept saying, you can do more, you can do more, you can do more. But over those years, the person, and I didn't recognize it right away, who was saying, you should do more, you could do more, you can do more, was me to myself. And it wasn't encouragement anymore, it was a demand. And so to have the opportunity to process that was important. And over the course of the weekend, I could actually just say goodbye to that voice. Just usher it out and uh, not have to listen to it anymore. Welcome to the Crucible Project podcast. The Crucible Project is a nonprofit organization committed to creating a world of men and women who live with integrity, grace, and courage, helping them to fulfill their God-given purpose. This podcast will discuss important and sometimes difficult topics while delivering practical life applications with men and women who are currently practicing this work. We are igniting Christ-like change in men and women through experiences of radical honesty and grace. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Crucible Project podcast. I'm James Damey. I'll be your host for this podcast. Man, it just is so great uh, to see how many people are listening to these podcasts and being a part, joining in with what Crucible is doing. So I am so excited that you're back, that you're listening again. And I have a recently initiated man on here with me, and I'm so excited to talk to him. So Mark, Vincent, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing just fine today. Thank you. Absolutely. I just want to thank you for taking the time and talking about something that, if I could say, I have no idea what this is. So I'm going to be surprised just as much as our listeners. So thank you for connecting and, man, for doing your work. I mean, one of the things we talk about in Crucible is stepping into that fire of honesty and getting the grace that comes from that. So you just went through the fire. Tell us a little bit about what led you here today. I am a a longtime organizational development consultant, and that often involves helping to develop the leaders of the organization as well. So there's this intersection between the people and the mission and the structures around that mission and developing all of that, increasing the capacities for them to be successful is just where I spent my life, I ended up coming to the Crucible Project out of a perplexity that I was not solving very well on my own. And I know that many people might come to an event like this trying to process maybe a really strong emotion or a difficult circumstance in their life, uh, or maybe even an opportunity that's in front of them. I just had a perplexity and uh, I had known about Crucible for a very long time have uh, strong relationships and several clients who have found a lot of help um, through the Crucible Project. And um, it just seemed like it was time for me to also come to know a bit better about their experiences. And I decided, well, if I'm going to do that, I'm not coming as someone who's checking it out. I'm going to come as a participant. I'll work on what I need to work on. And I did. And it was a very positive outcome for me. Wow, that's fantastic. I love hearing that. Love hearing a report like that. So in looking at what you just said, so a process for success, what what does that mean? A process for success means first and foremost, that if it's just a person, that they own it. It's theirs. It's not just doing what somebody told them to do. They need to take ownership for their own work. If you're talking about an organization, like a department or a board or um, maybe an, an ownership group, a group of investors, together they have to own their the steps that they're going to take 
because they typically don't trust advice that comes from elsewhere unless they really need it, unless they're really at the end of, of their options or the things that they were wanting to try. So with a process, you're saying, here's not just what we need to do, but here's what we're willing to do. And here's who's going to do it. And by when you literally architect the steps you're going to take and the accountability that's involved, if you're going to see it through from beginning to end. And without those things being in place, it falls apart and people don't get the outcomes that they want. Wow. Okay. Thank you. That is a very awesome description of that. I appreciate that. And so in in thinking about your own personal processes, I know you said there was a it was an experience, and I don't recall the exact word you used, but something that was kind of a catalyst for you to step into this. Share as much or as little as you'd like to share about that, but we'd love to hear it. Yeah, it's not a super complicated thing. I think I called it a perplexity. I, I couldn't figure something out. I grew up in a really healthy home. I had a lot of mentors. I'm just a very fortunate person. I didn't come into young adulthood with scars and trauma, but rather support and love. And uh, getting into my 30s, my first wife was diagnosed with cancer and she lived for 16 years and through 19 occurrences. And it was brutal. It was during the time that we were raising our kids. And we sometimes talked about this as death by a thousand bites. It was a long time. And it became really the book of our life rather than just a chapter in our life. Uh, We actually ended up writing a book at the request of a lot of the medical professionals in 2012. It was after she'd had, I think it was 12 cancer occurrences by then, and she would have seven more before she passed away. And there was just a way that she approached this long suffering that was uh, remarkable and caught people's attention. And so we wrote a little book called Fighting Disease, Not Death back then with even more years in that journey to go. And uh, the real goal for us was to avoid medical bankruptcy, get our kids raised, somehow muddle through it, grit our way through it. And we did. And Lori was able to die at home, surrounded by people who loved her. We had a very tender and meaningful celebration of life. I know when she passed, all of that took place. And then I had to live through the aftermath of that ended up with PTSD, didn't know what that was, didn't know what, what, how that would manifest itself. But what kept happening is I might have a tense conversation with a colleague or a family member, and I would end up unable to function for 24 hours. My body would not respond commensurate or like equal to what the situation was. It's just a tense conversation or a point of disagreement. But I was responding like a whole new episode of six months of chemotherapy and half a lung being removed. And what am I going to do? And the whole world's falling apart. I got to avoid bankruptcy. And, and so my head and my body weren't connected in the way they needed to be. And I spent some time really working through that and finding some ways to, to approach things in a more healthy way. and But what began to continue happening, I should say, continued happening, was a voice in my head that kept saying, you can do more. You can do more. You can do more. When I was a boy, uh, all those mentors, all those wonderfully supporting people, hey, Mark, we're proud of you. You did a great job with this. We see a lot of potential in you. You can do more. And it was like an encouragement. But over those years, the person, and I didn't recognize it right away, who was saying, you should do more, you could do more, you can do more, was me to myself. And it wasn't encouragement anymore. It was a demand 
And I couldn't figure my way out of that. And so what brought me through in the, in the crucible experience was just saying, okay, this is one that's perplexing me. I can't, I, I, I intellectually know what's going on, but I can't find my way through it. And so to have the opportunity to process that was important. And over the course of the weekend, I could actually just say goodbye to that voice, just usher it out and uh, not have to listen to it anymore. And that uh, has really stuck. It was very, very helpful, very timely for me. Wow. That's amazing. So those messages, those positive messages turned into something negative through this, if it's okay, if I call it a trauma. That was a long-term trauma. Absolutely. So through Crucible, in some way, you were able to not only control those voices, but turn them to your benefit. Well, recognizing where they came from was huge. That, you know, just to know where that voice came from, that no one, anybody else around me who would have once said, you can do more, Mark, you know, that kind of thing. They now be saying, you don't have to carry this anymore. You know, and I wasn't hearing that. I was just hearing do more. There's more you should have done, more you could have done. I needed to know that it was just me saying it to myself. It was a recording that I could shut the recorder off. So, Mark, I I appreciate your story. I appreciate the idea that that gives us, even in understanding the messages and voices that we each hear. You know, I I know I have messages and voices that, that I hear, but how did Crucible help you put those thoughts in an organized pattern? I think I came ready to ask the question, uh, how do I get past that? So uh, there, there had been some of that, I won't call it pre-work, but realization that this wasn't something I could do by myself. And so then to be in a place and a time where I could name it and talk about it and be patiently worked with in a supportive environment and asked, what am I going to do about that? Uh, was really what helped me because I had not had a place previously where I could take that conversation, have anybody ask me, what do you want to do about it? Because all of the other conversations would have been, help me understand this or tell me more of your story. And so then I'm back reliving it instead of moving forward to where I could live life in a more healthy way. Wow. Oh, that's great. And so Coming from that weekend, coming home, stepping back into your process consulting and kind of what you do there for other people, how did that benefit in that realm? That's a really good question. What I noticed right away is that I was not hearing the voice with the intensity that I had been hearing it before. And when that, hmm, how responsible am I from here? You know, what's on me to do here? I could kind of like turn around and kick it in the behind and and not need not not need to listen to it, not need to engage it. Just to just to know it was there and say, bah, I don't have to pay attention to that. And let that not be a criteria anymore. So it was no longer like holding me hostage that I needed to look for something that I should do, but rather to be able to say, I'm here, I'm present, I'm with people that love me and support me. I'm here getting to do good work. What might we do now? But not not taking it on myself with that kind of unsolvable burden, because you can always do something more. Always. 
but do you have to, right? And is that the only criteria for success? <laughs> just knowing I could dismiss it much more readily, recognize it and set it aside instead of either engage it or fight it became really helpful. Wow, that's great. You can always do something more. So understanding your limitations, understanding your capacity and seeing that and just being honest with yourself, I think yes. in, in some ways, right? Um, and saying, I, yeah, everybody could always do more, but do I need- Right, and especially if people aren't asking you to, right? Like, like there are people saying, why are you needing to do something more here? This is mine to do, right? Oh, well, okay. You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Here's the question. So how has it served you in your marriage coming back and having a stop button for those messages? Well, as I had said, my first wife passed away and um, I am remarried and we've been married for seven years and it's to uh, a woman that I have known all my life. She's known me all of her life. I mean, since we were adults, we all met in college as as young marrieds. She and her husband, who was a childhood friend of mine, and my wife and I, we did a lot of stuff together. And after both of our spouses died, mm -hmm. we reconnected through correspondence and wrote to each other a lot and, and kind of bared our hearts and were mutually supportive to each other. So this is somebody who knows me really well. And not just that, she's a very keen observer of humans. That's just what she does professionally. She's very, very gifted in that way. So she knew that this was stuff that she could not do for me, that I needed to manage for myself in a, in a way to be even healthier in our marriage. I think it would be for her to answer how I am doing better, especially from her perspective. What I know is that there are things that I would have felt responsible for not so much from like a control freak perspective, but but just that I needed to make something happen for it to be good. And again, what more can I do? And by releasing that, we have, uh, from my end of things, I think a better partnership because I'm not second guessing what I've brought. I'm more relaxed or at ease. Oh, that's so great. It's it's funny, the, the trickle or the snowball effect of, of benefits that come from it that uh, we just lived with before, you know, these, these things, these even motivations that are, are hidden in there somewhere are just constantly coming out. And, and one of the things you said earlier was you noticed that these reactions in the way you responded to other people, um, that was kind of your measurement. And that, I, I find that very interesting. Is there, is there any other place, or maybe you would just want to speak to that response to other people? Um, as that measurement, because um, you you took it back to that measurement was a piece of hurt that you had gone through before. You said it was like going through six more months of chemo or, uh, you know, the way you responded to somebody else in a time that probably didn't uh, earn that kind of response. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about that? I'd like to believe that I managed myself really well in those moments where things would get tense that I was able, without faking anything, to remain professional and to recognize that what was happening inside me did not match what was going on externally. So someone might say, I don't like the way you led the meeting. And I'm thinking, as I said, death, destruction, bankruptcy, long suffering in, in bed, <laughs> yeah. maybe never recovering. And that's that's where my body would go, but my head would be like, we're dealing with this meeting, what would make it better? And I'm handling that. And then I'm collapsing afterwards. 
So what made that hard was that I would like disappear on people. I, I didn't miss meetings or whatever else, but I, I would not be able to function. I would be absolutely prostrate with exhaustion. So being able to see it coming and knowing what was different and knowing that, first of all, I didn't need to perform. I didn't need to do something. I could just see it through, recognize it, go take a nap after a meeting or schedule with room in between to manage my energy for that time. And as I began to do that and now more fully recognizing, wait a minute, I'm not I'm not responsible for everybody's outcome here. I'm responsible for mine. Then uh, what I would be bringing as far as an expectation to a conversation was reduced. My sense of responsibility in that conversation beyond myself was reduced. And that let me uh, respond more effectively. And it didn't take very long. My energy just began rising again. And it still happens every now and then. I just go take a nap and, and say, hey, let's talk about the s'mores tomorrow or something along that line. And uh, it's just been a whole lot easier to manage. Wow. Oh, that's incredible, Mark. I think today in our society, the way we're driven and the way we're told is an appropriate way to work. Um, we try and stifle mm -hmm. our humanity <laughs> in, right. a, in the matter of speaking is uh, we're not able to look honestly at ourselves and say, man, mm -hmm. I need a break or I just need a breather. I need to take a walk for even five minutes. The realization of that, I think, is healthy. I think somebody needed to hear that just now, uh, what you said. And, and I, I, I know I'm one of them. But what what other impacts uh, did you find as, as gifts for you from your weekend? I think one thing, because of my work, I am even more capable of recognizing what's going on for another, especially post-COVID, and especially where people who lead organizations, especially if they're in human services or nonprofits or education, they have lived through long, sustained trauma themselves and may not have handles uh, may not know what will help them uh, get through it. And we're seeing among clergy record numbers of burnout, people who are walking away and not coming back. Talked with a number of pastors now who would say uh, the count of the number of friends that they lost, people that they walked with for years, you know, married, buried, baptized, uh, counseled, uh, cried with, rejoiced with. They've just lost so many of those relationships. They, they count in the hundreds. Like their, their whole community is decimated that um, they, they live with that, that sustained stress in their body. And they feel like there's an emergency or a crisis at all times. How to deal with that, how to move past that. I'm, I'm recognizing that more quickly in others and able to name it and ask how they're doing and, sometimes even point them to resources. In a way of speaking, that is like our, our society pushes us to just medicate it, medicate it, get it to go away for us. Deny that it's even there. Exactly. The true answer, the real answer is take a look at it and be able to face it, especially in a group of men or women that are there to support you in a safe place to do that. Oh, I, I appreciate that. That's great, Mark. How did uh, 2020 and since then, how did that affect the organization that you started? That's a fun question to respond to because Design Group International was initiated in the year 2000 as a virtual organization. So in many ways, we would laugh during 2020 and 2021, hey, the world's catching up to us now. 
<laughs> as people had to work from home or get virtual or or um, somehow find other ways of working, we had created a business model that made us competitive on a price point because we didn't have a lot of bricks and mortar to cover the costs for. We were able to scale up or scale down to the size of a project because we had a lot of folks who were prepared to contract based on their expertise as opposed to being employed at all times where you had to go sell work. It really was a hiccup for us and then full on as organizations were trying to figure things out because Design Group International is doing organizational development. So whether an organization has to scale up or has to figure out how to get back to a right size, whatever it takes for them to be able to be in business next year also that's the space that we're thinking and walking alongside the owners or the executive director of the board while they're trying to figure out unprecedented territory. It just drove actually a new round of growth for us because many organizations found not only that what was normal for them had disappeared, there was no new normal and there still isn't a new normal. The, the normal is things are crazy. It's like, how do we how do we figure out how to keep proceeding in crazy instead of thinking that what always was will always be? And that just became a, a new round of work for us, a new surge of growth for the company. I love that. There's the the new normal is the same old crazy. That's, that's kind of if I can put it together with what I heard you say, the new normal is just the same old crazy. Oh, that's good. Tell us a, a little bit about the books. You you said you wrote a book with your late wife about that trauma that you both went through and how you handled it. You've written some other books also? Yeah. The, the most recent one grows out of the process consulting field. We actually finished the production of it during COVID. It's called Listening, Helping, Learning. And the subtitle is The Core Competencies of Process Consulting. So what the Society for Process Consulting did, it's kind of a a body that watches over the field and issues a professional credential. They had established through their standards and ethics committee, the core competencies. This is how we recognize it's happening and happening well. So someone who employs a consultant can say, ah, I see you're doing what you should be doing. Or a, a group of process consultants can kind of watch each other and kind of prod each other to be their best. These competencies are really rooted in listening and having a very robust understanding of what listening is, which then means with your client, you're co-creating what help looks like. You're not coming as an expert saying, let me sell you my time and my expertise. You're co-creating the solution with the client. And as you do that work together and you solve a problem together or find a way forward, you actually learn together. And out of that learning, you want to pass that along. You want it to leak broadly in the organization so they don't have to face that same thing all over again. That book really is a standard bearer for the profession. And what was really fun was that we have a couple of case studies written sort of in that Harvard Business School style where you bring several stories together and kind of scrunch them up and create a story that really could have happened because every element in the story actually has happened. But you can't you can't tell who that really is because it's not just one entity. Anyway, we have about 24 of those, like two for each of those core competencies. And they range from how do you figure out how to keep your business going, a construction business in the middle of a civil war to how do you hand off a, a luxury castle rental business from the third to the fourth generation of the family that runs it to 
you know, just you, the, every one of these scenarios, every industry involved is different. And so it became a, a way of gathering the expertise from around the world, literally men and women, all kinds of industries who have been doing this kind of work for some time. So that was a lot of fun to put together. Yeah, that sounds exciting. And for everybody else and me that are going to go on Google or Amazon to find that book, can you say the title one more time? Sure. It's called Listening, Helping, Learning, The Core Competencies of Process Consulting. Wonderful. Oh, thank you for sharing that. So as we finish up this podcast today, if there was somebody like you and like me that said, well, I haven't had trauma in my childhood. I haven't had all these struggles. I, so that, and they're, they're just not taking that step into jumping into a crucible weekend. What would you have to tell them after your experience? Well, I will use a favorite way of talking about how we learn. There are four fields of knowledge. I didn't invent this. It has a lot of roots in it. Uh, E.F. Schumacher, who was an economist writing in the 1970s, had a lot to say about this. And it's actually a part of the original Johari window. Uh, and it's this idea that I can see and tell you what's going on inside of me. And I can tell you what I observe through my five senses. You can tell me what's going on inside of you. You can tell me how you observe the world with your five senses, including how you see me. I won't know those things unless you trust me enough to tell me. So there's all this stuff I don't know, can't see. And the only way I am going to learn is by opening up to hear. Uh, hear how what others are hearing, learn from their experience, learn how others are perceiving me, if they're willing to trust me and give me feedback, because um, I'm actually open to hearing it. But I have to bring an openness to be able to keep learning throughout my life. So a lot of reasons why people choose not to do things like this is because they're afraid of what they don't yet know. Instead of opening up their arms, their hearts, their bodies to learning what they have yet to gain. And it's a major step in maturity, in my view, to get to a point where you are saying, woohoo, I get to learn. Uh, I don't know where this is going to go. This is going to be amazing. And to trust that there is something good on the other side of a crucible. Uh, it's a very appropriate name. Uh, but when we're afraid, we prevent our own learning, our own growth, which is going to come anyway. It's a matter of when will we learn the lessons? When will we gain the insights? Will it become with our permission or because we finally couldn't resist it any longer? That's so great. So don't let fear uh, stop you from becoming the best you you can be just today. <laughs> it's an everyday work too. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. This has been such a deep talk and um, thank you so much for being on, on this podcast with me today. My pleasure. Awesome. So for all of you listening in, man, what a, what an amazing time with uh, Mark Vincent. And I hope that you come back in, tune again to our podcast coming up in the next couple of weeks. It is a blessing to be able to share these experiences and these life lessons with you. And as always, remember the journey continues. For more information about our weekends, please go to thecrucibleproject.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Rate and review wherever you are listening and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Also, don't forget to check out myjourneyto.com for your free two-week trial. That's myjourneyto.com. Thank you for listening.